This is Def Dave, and you are listening to my good friends D and Jason on the best show on the internet, the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. Okay, so it's the last scene of the movie, and Patty Birch, the choreographer, has an entire football field that she's got to compose this dance number for, except like there are dozens of people to choreograph, and she's like, I can't teach every single person what to do. So she's got her core group of dancers, and she's like, Okay, I'm dividing you guys up into teams. You go teach everybody else how to do these dance moves. And it became this huge competition where everybody was like, I'm going to have the best team, which is why you have this phenomenal last scene. Okay, D, that's that's great and everything. I'm a little bit confused, though, because is this the end? Of course not, Jason. It's only the beginning. Oh, everybody, welcome back. We are covering Grease the movie today. We are not talking Grease the soundtrack. That comes next week, so it's going to be a little tricky because we're going to try not to talk about the music today, which we're, is really we're hard. We're going to try very hard. And just as a teaser, one of the best-known songs from this soundtrack had a big change made because of the death of one celebrity, and then another celebrity dies on the day they make the song. If you aren't following our podcast at this point, you better hit that button so you can find out that story. That's exactly right. Hey, you know what's weird? Also, last week, I put a tail at the end of this because I didn't know whether we are going to cover Grease next or do the IMDb MVP thing. And you made a good point. John Travolta is a great choice for IMDb MVP, right? Heck yeah. He's he's had like over 90 films. Some of them are not so good. Our friends over at the Famous and Gravy podcast came up with this idea of doing the IMDb MVP. If you're only able to have the movies of one particular movie star you know, and nothing else, right. which, which one do you pick? Right. And his point was, you probably don't want a leading man. Cause then you get tired of, you know, I'm watching John Travolta movies every single day, but I mean, John Travolta is in a whole lot of good movies where he's the leading man. So we're going to get together with those guys a little bit later on, and we're going to pick our IMDB MVPs and pit them head to head and see who comes out the winner. That sounds like a lot of fun. I've already picked mine. We've heard some other people who've come up with really good ideas too. So Absolutely, yeah. It's going to be fun. That's coming here later on, maybe in December. Yeah. Okay, Jason, before we go on, I wanted to give credit to our executive producer for this episode, Tim Epp. Tim has been a Patreon member for months and months now, but we, I think, have cited him as executive producer. So thank you, Tim. Sorry for our blunder there. Guys, if you want to become an executive producer of one of our episodes, all you have to do is go to patreon.com backslash Shirley Podcast, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can become a Patreon member, you become an executive producer, and you get to hear all of our awesome one-hit wonder episodes that are just for Patreons. All right, are you ready to get automatic, systematic, and hydromatic about Grease? This is the <laughs> <laughs> We'll be getting lots of uh, I don't think you can put that in there. <laughs> That's okay. We're talking Grease the movie. This was released in June of 1978. I think everybody knows that this is this is just the second step in John Travolta's maybe third step in John Travolta's epic career, sure. right? He grew up wanting to be actually wanted to be a stage actor. He wanted to sing and dance on stage in the theater and also wanted to be a pilot. He was successful with one but not so much with the other one and it turns out it's the pilot that he was successful with. Uh, I saw him uh, doing an interview back in 1980. They were talking to him about flying and, and he's he's like uh, yeah, I got my license a couple years ago. And it's like, oh, you've been only been flying two years? He's like, no, I've been flying for 10 years. I've only been flying for two years legally. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, he started flying planes in 1970-ish, right? Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. He lived next to an airport and, you know, out playing in the yard as a little kid. That's what he wanted to do. And the other thing that he wanted to do was sing and dance on stage. So he, in New York, would go and try out for big stage productions. And one of the productions that he tried out for was Jesus Christ Superstar. Interesting. Interesting. And he wasn't cast. But one of the guys there saw his performance and said to himself, 
Now that kid is a movie star. Mm-hmm. He may not be a Broadway star, but he is a movie star. Mr. Robert Stigwood, right? Exactly. Stigwood, who was the manager of the Bee Gees. So, you know, no small fry himself. Sure. If you want to hear the full story on Robert Stigwood, which is really a freaking fascinating story. The whole backstory for Saturday Night Fever is fascinating. But we compared Saturday Night Fever and Dirty Dancing. What was that, season two? Season two, I believe, yeah. Okay, you'll get the whole story there. Go check out Saturday Night Fever. But Stigwood saw him, said this guy's a star, and kept him in mind for the future. So he doesn't get cast in Jesus Christ Superstar. He is, in 1972, he starts acting in TV. He's in a handful, like half a dozen or so, different TV series, little spots, frequently like guy standing in front of the door, Mm -hmm. uncredited stuff. Right. But in 1975, he hits it big with the character of Vinny Barbarino in a little show called Mr. T and Tina. Mr. T and Tina. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm looking at his IMDb history and I'm scrolling through and I'm like, I've never heard of it, never heard of it. Oh, this looks interesting, but he's like nobody, never heard of it. And then I see Vinny Barbarino and I'm like, what the heck show is this? He did a cameo, as did all of the other guys from Welcome Back Cotter in oh. this show that lasted for six episodes called Mr. T and Tina. And Tina was played by Susan Blanchard, who did a bunch of horror movies. And Mr. T was played by Mr. Pat Morita. What? Yeah. Turns out even casting the entire crew and cast of Welcome Back, Cotter couldn't save that show. It was obviously that bad, but I guess Pat landed on his feet. He did. He took over Al's place on Happy Days and then ultimately taught ralph macchio how to do some karate that's right he did um which is interesting because one of those iconic celebrities that died that i mentioned earlier is the spitting image of ralph macchio okay. i can't wait i can't i'm sorry we keep i keep wanting to go into the song right and we can't go right. into the songs all right so he's Vinny Barbarino in welcome back cotter in 75 has this cameo in mr t and tina in 76 but also in 76 he appears in carrie which just got covered by our friends over at the A Film By podcast. Jeff, Amber, and I believe it was David Burns. That's right. Yeah. They covered that fantastic episode. That's a great companion episode to our Cujo, Christine, and Dead Zone episode, which we released about the same time. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we might as well toot our own horn. Hey, you know, (laughs) while we're here. That year, he also did the iconic boy in the plastic bubble i know that and that's where he meets mr randall kleisner yeah who directed him in that movie and john actually had the clout to say i want this guy to direct me in greece here's something that as a kid who was one and two years old at the time that all of this was going on i I had no comprehension of you had to be probably a preteen or teenager at this time period sure to understand this But we're talking about a guy who has been on a TV series for less than two years. And Stigwood remembers him from the Jesus Christ Superstar audition and signs him to a three-picture deal. Now, that's impressive enough. But you'll remember from our Saturday Night Fever episode, he made a lot of calls on that show. Like, he was like, the dance number... He was like, this is what the way you film. This is terrible. You need to come back. You need to show my body moving. You need to see the dance. Right, you got right. it up on my face. And they did it. They didn't. The I mean, John Badham was like, am I the director? Or are you the director? And Sigwood's like, he is making that call. He's the boss. You do what he says to do. Yeah. And this is his first real movie as a star. Second real movie as a star. He's already signing on as co-producer with Stigwood. And he's saying, hey, you know who would be perfect to play Sandra D? Olivia Newton. Olivia Newton John. You have to believe we are magic. Nothing can stand in our way. Before we get started on this, tell me your relationship with Greece. Now, this is a little bit before your time, but for me, I mean, I saw this in the movie theater with my mom. I mean, it was a special day and we had a great time and we both loved it. I'm five years old. Yeah. And what about you? I think I didn't see this until I was in college. 
Really? Yeah. It was it was never something that was on my radar. I mean, if I watched musicals when I was a kid, I watched The Sound of Music or Oklahoma or something like that. Greece was not on the radar for my family. And this is an interesting story between you and I. It wasn't until uh, I was in the theater program at OU and like it was required not just reading but watching and memorizing and choreographing every theater student there had to know all of the words and all of the dance moves to the songs from Greece. Right. And I went to a wedding yeah. with a co-friend. This is before you and I even knew each other. Yeah. And we have a joint friend who was in the theater department at OU and I was telling you one time, I'm like, you know, I went to this wedding and they played Summer Nights and people broke out in choreographed dance. I was like, what? What is going on here? Who breaks out into a stage play at a wedding? Yeah. And I told you, I not only know probably who was involved, I could probably also tell you who was leading the entire show. Yeah. It was Walter Shatley. Walter came down last weekend. I got to see him. It was great. But I asked him specifically about it. I was like, were you leading the show? He's like, oh, yeah, of course I was leading the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I loved Greece, but I was not prepared to break out and dance. Yeah. So. It's it's special. They did it at my wedding, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, fantastic. Do you want to hear the the brief history on the musical of Greece before we get to the Yeah, let's to the jump movie? in. Musical came out in 1971. That's right. So this was written by a guy named Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey. Jim Jacobs is an interesting guy. He's a theater guy. He's a, you know, he he wanted to sing and play guitar in in a band and loved rock and roll, like loved old school rock and roll. His idols were Bill Haley, Elvis, Little Richard, Buddy Holly, Jerry Lee Lewis. He despised Grateful Dead, and Led Zeppelin. Uh-huh. He really was an old-school rock and roll kind of guy. Yeah. And he's at a party one day, and he's talking to this guy he just met, Mr. Warren Casey, and he's just remembering the old days of classic rock and roll. And they decide they're going to start working on a play together. And it's a it's a play before it's a musical. So Grease appears in 1971 at the Kingston Mind Theater in Chicago. There are some producers there. Ken Wiseman and Maxine Cox, and they watch the play and they're like, you know what? Play's good. We like it. But this really needs to be a musical. So at that point, Warren Casey decides to quit his job. At the time, he was a department store lingerie buyer. <laughs> there are worse jobs in the world than a lingerie buyer at yeah. a department store. Uh, honey, could you try this on for me? I need to see if we need to buy these. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole thing moved to New York City. They opened at the Eden Theater in Manhattan, and then eventually it moved to Broadway. Now then, there are songs that were in that first musical that don't make it to the movie. Mm-hmm. And there are iconic songs in the movie that are not in the musical. One of them literally written in the middle of shooting the movie. It's the, I can't even believe it. The one song that got nominated for an Oscar. I mean, it's... it's I know. And they're, it, they're so vital to the success of the movie, I think. Yep. So... It opened on Broadway June 7th, 1972. It ran until 1980. That's 3,388 performances. How many? 3,388. That's a lot of performances. Right? And boy, were my legs tired. (laughs) So at the time, that's the longest running musical on Broadway. Right. Uh, Chorus Line beat it out uh, a short time after that, but still. So now... During its run, you have Mr. Alan Carr, who watches this and says to himself, this would make a great movie. And so he buys the rights. Yep. Alan Carr purchases the rights. Now, the interesting thing is that Grease had been optioned to be a movie three or four times before this. Yeah, but nobody would buy it. Right. So Alan Carr has the option. Mr. Robert Stigwood has offered John Travolta a three-picture deal at this point. I mean, we've already covered Saturday Night Fever. We should totally do like a John Travolta trifecta, right? We've already covered Saturday Night Fever. We are now covering Grease. And so next, obviously, moment by moment. What? <laughs> what? That was the sour third act of the trifecta. Uh, you were expecting me to say Urban I Cowboy. I thought you were going to say Urban Cowboy. Yeah. No, unfortunately, that was not uh, Stigwood's pick. He was not involved in, in Urban Cowboy. The third picture was a movie called Moment by Moment, where Lily Tomlin played Lily Tomlin <laughs> plays a 
depressed socialite whose husband has left her in Beverly Hills who hooks up with a young stud named Strip played by Mr. John Travolta. It was a May-December romance movie that uh, surprisingly did not do very well. I have never heard of that movie <laughs> just now. It was the the interview that I talked about in 1980 where he was talking about flying planes. He he was like, so you did Saturday Night Fever and you did Grease and moment by moment, <laughs> that didn't seem to do as well. What do you do then? He's And Chandra Vol's like, make the next movie. Yeah, that's right. And that The next movie was Urban Cowboy and that really should be. I mean, when we do our final trifecta. Because we've got we've got a friend of yours who's like this is the greatest soundtrack of all soundtracks. Mr. Jay Reed, my high school buddy, he was like teasing it up. He's like, you guys are not even scratching the surface on the greatest soundtrack of all time. And he sent me like seven Rock and Roll Hall of Fame members. I'm like, who in the world? What what is this? And Urban Cowboy. When you look at it, I mean, Merle Haggard and the Eagles and all these guys. It's a good one. You let John Travolta take a mulligan on that Lily Tomlin movie. Yep. And he in three movies is involved with three of the best selling soundtracks in history. I mean, just think about it. You got Saturday Night Fever, yeah. you've got Grease, and you've got Urban Cowboy. I mean, it was unstoppable. Not only that, he changed the fashion trend in every single movie he was in. The the disco stuff of Saturday Night Fever had sure. fallen out of favor at that point. They put him in clothes that people would have been wearing three years before because the Bronx was kind of behind the times. And then because of the movie, it resurged after only falling out three years earlier. 50s style comes back in after Greece. Everybody's slicking their hair. Guys are wearing leather jackets again. Girls are doing the pom-pom thing. Right. And then Urban Cowboy comes out, and suddenly everybody's got the cowboy chick going. Yeah, riding the bull and cowboy hat. And he was a force. It's incredible. I will say this. Yes. Uh, before I watched this movie, a couple of days before I watched this movie, my wife was insistent that we watch one of three movies, and the one that we landed on was Look Who's Talking. <laughs> It was not as funny as I remember oh my from when gosh. I was 12 years old. But Hey, that movie was one of the biggest movies of 1987. Mm-hmm. Huge movie. Yeah. And I watched it, and I was like, this movie sucks. Yeah, it's not, it's not aged well, and it's, yeah, it's it, not got a good ranking either. Yeah. It wasn't as bad, I think, as they've got it, but... It wasn't moment by moment bad, but it was pretty bad. (laughs) Uh, Bruce Willis as the baby. Yeah. Okay. So Robert Stigwood, who had offered John Travolta a three-picture deal, goes to him and says, hey, I think it'd be great for Greece. So John Travolta is the first piece in this puzzle. And turns out, I mean, he is the guy who, okay, is the director. Like he, he's the guy who says, hey, I want Mr. Randall Kleisner. Yeah, it turns out he had a great time making the boy in the, boy in the, the plastic bubble. bubble. Yeah. He said he just, he would let the actors explore. And he mm-hmm. fe- felt like that was a huge deal and it, w- it worked out really well with this. So here's the other thing. I've heard a couple of different stories. So Alan Carr met Olivia Newton-John at Helen Reddy's house as like this dinner party thing. Helen Reddy. Helen Reddy. Yeah. Hollywood elite, right? Yeah, right. Now, Olivia Newton-John had had some hits before Grease. Yeah. She'd had a couple of number ones. I Honestly Love You and Have You Never Been Mellow. Very 70s sounding songs here. Yeah. Yeah. And so she was big and kind of the, the softer rock, you know, adult contemporary and country. She's cute. She's beautiful. She's pure looking. Girl Next Door, Doris Girl Day. Girl Next Door, yeah. that's right. The perfect person to play Sandy D. Absolutely. John Travolta said everybody in the world, every guy wanted Olivia Newton-John to be their girlfriend. Right. Perfect and, Sandy. And when I heard him say that, I thought, and every girl in the world wanted John Travolta to be their boyfriend. That's right. Like, the, of course this movie was going to explode like it did. That's right. Yeah. I just want to say, in the succession of movies, I also saw, I can't remember if it was 78 or 79, there's a movie called Blowout that he's in. Where That's I believe 81. He's, 81. It's 81? Yep. Okay. He plays like a projectionist, I guess. He's maybe? like a, a like a foley artist. Like he has got oh, recording. Okay. He, he he actually discovers a murder while he's out trying to record sounds for movies. Oh, see it high ranked. I've seen other people yeah. recommend it, but I've never seen it. You've seen Brian De Palma? Yeah, it's great. Okay, it's very good. I need to check that one out. Brian De Palma. Yep, Nancy Allen, I think, is in it. Yeah, oh, okay. it's really good. Yeah, back with her after Carrie. Okay, so let's dive into the cast. Are you ready to dive into the cast? Let's dive in. This cast is epic. I can't think of a poorly cast character in this movie 
this is this can be great. Okay, right out of the gate, these people are a lot older than teenagers. <laughs> they when the when the film by guys were talking about Carrie, they were like these guys look really old for high school. But then Amber was like, "But they don't look as old as the ones from Greece." <laughs> so just here's a breakdown because literally as we're watching the movie, I watched this with my wife and my daughter. Her daughter's twelve years old. Avery, she says, "How old are these people?" Because yeah. he looks like a dad, and I'm like, "Well, he's old enough." Yeah. Um, so here you go. Here filming began in June of 1977. All right. Yep. So in June of 77, Stockard Channing was 33. Mm. As a matter of fact, uh, in 1958, the year the film is set, she was only three years younger than the age she was playing there 20 years later. <laughs> oh my God. Michael Tucci, Sonny, was 31. Jamie Donnelly was 30. That's Jan. Yep. Annette Charles was 29. She's cha-cha. She looked way older. She did. She's um, a woman. Yeah. Olivia Newton-John was 28. Barry Pearl was 27. Jeff Conaway was 26. Dee Dee Cohn was 25. John Travolta was 23. Dinah Manoff was 21. Smoking hot. And <laughs> Kelly Ward. She's cherry. Yeah. Like Maraschino. Maraschino. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Ward and Eddie Deason were both 20. And a young and in incredibly good shape, Lorenzo Lamas was only 19 years. Old. It's it's incredible. And if you're doing the math year there, that is a 14 year difference between the oldest high school character and the youngest. I've got great tidbits on all these guys. Okay, just enough time to go through all of the grades in school. By the way, wow, <laughs> wow. Okay, so got some tidbits for you on Danny Zuko. Okay, John Travolta's character. Yes. <laughs> well, that's cool, baby. I mean, you know how it is, rocking and rolling and whatnot. Okay. So before we go any further, just kind of on a sad note, we talked about in our Saturday Night Fever episode where John Travolta's longtime girlfriend, Diana Highland, passed away from breast cancer. That's right. And he threw himself into the Tony Manero role for Saturday Night Fever as a distraction in getting over her and sort of grieving her, right? Yep. And so this is still kind of in that grieving process. And so he just chucked himself into work and is trying to get over her. So he loses Diana Highland to breast cancer. Mm -hmm. He loses Olivia Newton-John to breast cancer. She had been diagnosed actually significantly earlier, had gone into remission by the time she was 50. She was had been in remission for five years. Uh, she had become a big, big advocate for breast cancer research and raising money for that for that cancer research. And he also lost his wife, yeah. Kelly Preston. Kelly freaking Preston. To breast cancer. Yep. You want to hear us goo and ga over uh, Kelly Preston? Go listen to our twins episode. Yeah. Or our Christine episode. By the way, to raise money for the cancer project in 2019, Olivia Newton-John auctioned off the jacket and the pants that she wore in that final scene and i believe the price tag was somewhere around 400 and something thousand dollars for the pair the pants were bought by the lady who invented Spanx. what really the jacket which i think went for like two hundred and thirty-six thousand dollars, was bought by an anonymous donor who then ultimately returned the jacket back to olivia and john well, that's nice. That's good stuff. Yeah. I don't know if you know this or not. John Travolta had a top 10 Hot 100 hit in 1976. Ladies and gentlemen, tune in today. We're going to be playing Let Her In. Something she said has stuck in my head and I can't get away. Gonna let her in. Gonna let her in. Gonna let her in. What do you think about this one? It's 1976. It is. Uh, He's trying to croon a little bit. Yeah. It does not. I bet the girls in 76 were just melting. <laughs> we talked about how John Travolta had been in Greece before. He played the character of Duty, which is a much smaller character. He was younger. He wasn't old enough to play Danny. He wasn't steadily enough to play Danny. But here's the interesting thing. The stories that I hear, it's always that John Travolta is kind of the first puzzle piece. But I read some stuff that Henry Winkler, a.k.a. Arthur Fonzarelli was offered the part of Danny Zuko at first. And he said no. He turned it down because he didn't want to get typecast as a greaser. Okay, here's the quote from Henry Winkler. 
I go home and I have a Diet Coke. John Travolta, who is in the movie, goes home and buys a plane. <laughs> yeah. He called himself a damn fool for turning uh, this one down. Yeah. Henry Winkler. But then we wouldn't have the coach from Waterboy. <laughs> Listen to this list of Broadway Dannys, okay? So these guys all conceivably could have played Danny. And one in particular, I think, would have really been a contender for being the Danny, okay? Yeah. So Jeff Conaway played Danny on Broadway. That's the guy who plays Kanicki. Okay. Right, right. Peter Gallagher, Treat Williams, Richard Gere. Wow. Now listen to this one. Those guys are pretty young. Yeah, I mean, and those guys are movie stars, right? Yeah. Patrick Swayze played Danny on Broadway. Wow, before... This is before everything. Really? He can sing. He yeah. can dance. Oh my gosh. He and can he's do got comedy. he look. I mean, you couldn't name a more similar movie than Dirty Dancing. To this, sure. Right. Right. Speaking of Maraschino, the moment that Marty came out, Avery, my daughter, was like, "Is that the girl from Dirty Dancing?" I was like, no, this is like ten years before Dirty right. Dancing. She's right. Like, wow. Is it her sister? I'm like, no. But I've Jennifer got... Grey and Dinah Manhoff look like they could easily be sisters. Yes. By the way, a little tidbit on Danny at the drive-in. I'm gonna try not to talk about the song, <laughs> but he's singing Sandy. He's on the swing set and in the background on the movie. Like, there's like, a, let's go to the movies, you know. Let's all stuff. go to the lobby. That's it. Let's all go to the lobby. Go ahead. Never noticed this before. So he's singing about, you know, Sandy leaving and he's lost and come back to me and stranded at the drive in. There is a hot dog where the wiener keeps jumping in and out of the bun. And I'm like, huh. Yeah. Interesting. Subtle. <laughs> subtle. We didn't mention this, but, you know, Alan Carr, whether it was him meeting her at Helen Reddy's party or John Travolta saying this is the perfect cast for this. Right. Because the original character was not from Australia. Right. Right. She's like Dumbowski was her last name or something. Right. And so he talks to her. She actually asks for the screen test. Like they're offering her the part. And she's like, can I screen test first? And I know. Usually the studio is the one that wants the screen test, not the actor. Usually the actor is excited about not having to do the screen test. She's like, I just don't want to look bad doing it. Right, And so she does the screen test with John Travolta, make sure they have good chemistry. But then she also says, I really don't want my kind of very first real acting job for me to be doing an American accent and doing it poorly. Sure. You're a fake and a phony and I wish I'd never laid eyes on you. And they said, no problem. We kind of like your Australian accent. We will change the script. So here's the interesting thing to me. One of the minor plot problems I have with this movie. Mm -hmm. She meets Danny at the beach. She's in America. They hook up. They have this little summer romance. She's going to go home to Australia. They have a change of plans. That's what she says. Yeah, family has to change plans. Hey, I'm staying in America. Yeah. She doesn't think to maybe call him and let him know I'm (laughs) still in America or... Yeah. I don't know how far Rydell High is from the beach. I don't know know, how many high schools were around. This is California. They could be all over the place. That's true. People don't have cell phones back then either. That's true. Maybe they just met on the... I've... I've had a few girls that I just met on the beach before. But you said, you said something. They hook up, right? Yes. And so you've got the very first big song. Yes. Is her playing down the sexual part of their relationship. Don't spoil it, Danny. And him playing it up. Sure. Who's lying? Did they get busy? No. No way they get busy. (laughs) Absolutely not. She's a good girl. All right. I do think that they really nailed that tone, though, because there's a fine line to be walked where the audience is going to either side with the good girl or side with the bad boy. But I think that they do such a good job. I think that Danny does love her. That doesn't mean he's not a horn dog. Yeah. Or a guy who wants to show up for his friends. Of course. Yeah. But when they see when they are reunited and Riz sets him up and does that on purpose so he'll make a rear out of himself, which he probably does, it hurts him. He acts like a butthead. Sandy calls him a fake and a phony and I never want to see you again. And she leaves and Riz knew the whole time he's going to do this. Yep. And she stares at him and he stares back at her and he's hurt. So I, I really do think he loves her. I think it's funny that before you started that, you said you think they really nailed the tone because the image in my head that proves to me that she was telling the truth and that he was lying yeah. was the scene where she slams the door <laughs> and nails the bone. That is the <laughs> funniest laugh out loud moment in the entire movie. She really nailed the bone on this one. When she gets out of the sin wagon and nails the bone with the door and he's like, oh, yeah. So funny. Let me give you the list of possible Sandys, okay? Okay. 
think with me back to 1977, okay? Okay. Anne Margaret. Anne Margaret. Okay, so Anne Margaret. Oh, that's what it was. So Dinah Manoff, I, I wanted to look because I remembered her from being in Empty Nest. You remember that TV show? Yeah. Empty Nest. She was one of the daughters in Empty Nest. I remember for that. But I'm like, she's got to have been in something else. She's just got a very memorable face. No, nothing except for this one movie called I Ought to Be in Pictures with Walter Matthau and... And Margaret. Interesting. Yeah. I would not have brought that tidbit up had you not said Anne Margaret. That was too to an uninteresting a tidbit. She's I thought you were gonna say stuff, but it was dirty nothing. or uh friggin' grubby old men. Oh, yeah. No, there you go. I've got a tidbit for you on Dinah Manhoff that I'm gonna blow your socks off with here in a second. Uh anything involving Dinah Manhoff and blowing, I'm good. <laughs> okay, so here are your other possible Sandys. Yes. And Margaret, we talked about. Uh-huh. Susan Day, Deborah Raffin, these are 70s actresses. Okay. Right. Carrie Fisher. Yeah. If you listen to our Star Wars holiday special episode, <laughs> you will hear Carrie Fisher sing. Oh my. It's special. I don't think she's a great singer. No, that would not have worked in this. Right. Not have worked in this. Now she's beautiful. Yeah. I think she can pull off the, the good girl, bad girl thing. Oh yeah. She just can't sing. Now here you go. Here's two people who could sing and are, I think, legit possibilities, especially at that time. Okay. Marie Osmond. Oh, come on, Sandy. Don't make me laugh. Ha, ha, ha. She turned yeah. down the role. Yeah, she didn't. She later in an interview said she knew she wanted to be a mom and she didn't want to have to explain to her kids why the girl had to become a bad girl in order to get the guy. Right. (laughs) I want to talk about the good girl, bad girl thing. Okay. My idea is that they met in the middle. He became a little more jock. She became a little more T-Bird. It wasn't like she threw all of her morals out the window forever and ever. She did not have to burn her virginity at the stake no, she came out dressed in tight pants and smoking a cigarette and doing a terrible job at it. Right. And it's it's funny. It's not right. Like there's this idea that this is not a good commentary uh, on the way women should have to behave and all of that. Or maybe it's a commentary on the way things were going in the 70s anyway. I don't know. Right. But I don't think any of that really kind of came up until well after the movie had been out for years. Sure. Overanalyzing. Yeah. Yeah. Get a life, people. <laughs> Okay, and the last one I want to bring up to you, yes. Linda Ronstadt. Ooh, yeah. Good girl, she bad was, girl. She was still foxy back She then. was foxy, and boy, she could sing. Oh, yeah. Right? I don't know if she could act, but man, she would have, yeah, that would have been a good one. I like how she was sewn into her pants. We talked, Yeah, you know, in the scene, the leather pants. She said the pants were actually from the 50s, like, and it, they were supposed to be elastic, but she's like, after 20 years, right. they, the elastic was gone, <laughs> and, but the zipper broke. That's why they had to sew her in. She was still... She was worried about eating and drinking all day long. She's, she's like, I, I can't pee. I'm sewn into my pants. Yeah. She probably couldn't bend over at a right angle. <laughs> I mean, Jiminy. By the way, at the premiere, <laughs> at the premiere, I thought uh, this was really funny. When she attended the premiere with John Travolta and they went to the premiere of Greece, when she showed up the premiere, she was wearing a prom dress. When she came out of the movie, she was wearing like the pink stretch pants, like the hot pants. Oh, nice. Good girl, bad girl. Before we end this, I want to talk to you about the possibility that Sandy actually drowned at the beginning of the movie. What? Do you know about this? No, you're going to have to fill me in on this nonsense. Okay, hear me out and we'll talk about it more at the end. There is a fan theory out there that says at the beginning when she's at the beach with Danny, she has a swimming accident. Where she drowns. And the reason why people suspect that the whole Grease movie is this sort of fever dream before she dies and goes to heaven is the final scene in the movie when she gets in the car and the car takes flight and goes to the clouds. Explain that in real life. It's a fairy tale ending (laughs) like a Disney movie. I find that fan theory even less believable than the Cloak and Dagger Fight Club theory. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the T-Birds real quick. Jeff Conaway plays Kaniki. Okay, what is it? Huh? What's with you tonight? You've got the personality of a wet mop. Don't start with me. Oh, sure, fine. Oh, okay, Eureka. How about I finish with you, huh? Finish this! To you from me, Pinky Lee. Sorry, French. Yes. He had played Danny on Broadway. So he died a few years ago. Yep. Like 2011, I think. Okay. Pneumonia related to chronic drug use. So, I saw him on the Dr. Drew show. He was in bad shape, dude. Yeah. I mean, it, it without getting too much into the song, because of the song, he had an accident while they were filming the Grease Lightning song that led to him doing pain pills and getting addicted to those. Yeah. You know, the hickeys that Riz has, Jeff Conway insisted on giving those to her himself. For real. 
Hinky from Kaniki is like a Hallmark card. <laughs> okay, one last tidbit I've got on Jeff Conway. Yes. He was infatuated with Olivia Newton-John. Yes. Tongue-tied when he was around her. <laughs> Who wouldn't be, right? right? Right, He actually married her sister. Yeah. Rona Newton-John. Yep, I had to look her up. What do you think? Not quite as pretty as Olivia Newton-John, right. but um, a little less wholesome, a little more... <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. The three guys that played the the rest of the T-Birds. Yes. Okay. You've got Duty played by Barry Peel. Duty. I know. What a terrible name. <laughs> he actually did, I mean, he was in Barney Miller, Eight is Enough, Hill Street Blues, Alice. Just so we know this, those guys' names are Sonny, Duty, and Putsy. Right. And they're playing the Three Stooges the entire movie. Yeah. In fact, Randall Kleisner said, hey, guys. I want you to do some sort of Three Stooges thing. So they went off and they came up with that whole thing on their own. Brilliant. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Kelly Ward, the guy who played Putsy, Putsy mm-hmm. he was he had been in the Boy in the Plastic Bubble with John Travolta before this. I think that's how he got the job. Yeah, probably so. You know? He became he became a dialogue director. Like he works in animated movies and is the dialogue director for voiceover actors. Really? Yeah. You know, he had been in Magnum P.I., Quincy M.E., MASH, The Waltons. All these guys are covering sort of all the 70s and 80s bases in television. Yep. Sonny, who is Michael Tucci, you said he was like 31 when 31. he does it. 31, yep. I mean, he's been in the Gary Sandlin show, and he actually ended up as a high school teacher. Uh-huh. Hope he doesn't take any crap from anyone. <laughs> He passed out at the dance, like when they did the big dance thing. Mm-hmm. No AC, California. It's hotter than crap. Oh, yeah. So they had to use the the gym, the gymnasium. That was the very first scene that they filmed, by the way, which was great because it got the cast to like dance around together, get familiar with each other before they're having to like deliver lines and stuff sure. like that. But yeah, it was, they had to do it during the summer. So the school wasn't in session and there was no AC in the building. If you've ever been to a high school dance, you know there's no place freaking hotter in the world than a high school dance. Yep. And uh, especially when you're dancing cheek to cheek. Yeah. And when it's the middle of summer and you're 35 years old. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's move over to the pink ladies. Heading up the pink ladies, you got Rizzo. Call me by my first name. Uh, uh, <laughs> Betty. Betty. It's Betty Rizzo. Betty Rizzo. Bite the weenie, Riz. Well... I think he sounds peachy. Stockard Channing. Yeah. You sent me a video of her first appearance on television, and it was on Sesame Street. You remember the guy who wore the little beanie hat? He played the butler in something. I can't remember what he played the butler in. But he would wear the, he wore the little derby hat with a trench coat, and he would walk around and he would paint numbers on things. And for this one, he met Stockard Channing, and she's beautiful. She's just beautiful yeah. in this scene, too. Yeah. She's having a little picnic lunch, and he keeps trying to paint with the mayonnaise and the mustard and the <laughs> ketchup on the bread, and she keeps grabbing it and sticking it on the sandwich. And then he finally gets one done, and she grabs it, puts it on the sandwich, and like it's three feet tall, but she still managed to put it all in her mouth. So they hired Stalker Channing. She was actually like, Alan Carr was like her sort of friend slash manager. They had been looking for Riz. Really important part. She's got to be damaged goods, sort of, but you can't hate her. She's got to kind of be mean. Yeah. Mean, lovable. Right? right. So the person they wanted was Lucy Arnez. This is Desi Arnez and Lucy. I love Lucille Lucy. Ball. Lucille Ball. Yeah. It's their daughter. And here's what happened. They brought her in. They're like, hey, we want you for Riz. Can you audition for Riz? And mom, Lucille Ball, yeah. loses her mind and says, what do you mean audition? I used to own this studio. Oh. Who do you think you are? Right. And so they're like, oh, we probably better not hire her, you know. Wow. So mom got crazy and they're like, nope, not doing this. So Alan Carr is talking to Stalker Channing on the phone one day and says, you know what? I'm having a hard time with her. Would you be interested? Would you come down? Yeah. He says he says that. He's like, we're having a real hard time finding Riz. And she's like, huh. I, Silence. Right. <laughs> Which, of course, I mean, she's 31 years old or 32 at this point. She, she's got to be like, well, not me. Right. Why would you? Me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you come read? Like, And I, it was almost as if she heard the wheels clicking in his head as he said it. Like, he's just talking to her as a friend about the problems they're having. And then all of a sudden, he's like, wait a minute. What yeah. are you doing this afternoon? <laughs> yeah. Now then, let's talk about Frenchie. Okay. Played by Didi Khan. Yeah. Sandy, men are rats. Listen to me. They're, they're fleas on rats. Worse than that, there are amoebas on fleas on rats. I mean, they are too low for even the dogs to bite. The only man a girl can depend on is her daddy. 
We talked about her in our Saturday Night Fever episode. She eventually married David Shire, who was one of the composers on the Saturday Night Fever album. Oh, wow. Okay. Who had previously been married to Talia Shire. Yeah. So she was going to audition for this, right? Her manager told her to go audition for this. Yep. And she goes to the studio and she said, and they have, you know, they've got the little like security desk at the front or whatever, little offices at the front. And as she comes in, this is the day before, she's just trying to kind of, you know, work off the nerves. And she sees this guy standing at this desk and it's got all these copies, Xerox copies of the script for Greece. And she's like, you gotta let me see one of these. Right. Because that way I can read, I can like figure out what the part is about. And that way I'll do the best tomorrow. And he's like, I can't let these go. She's like, please. He's like, looks around. He's like, okay, get under the desk. <laughs> <laughs> she crawls between his legs. Yeah. Well, just to read the script. Just, to read, just the script. to read the script. She's on the floor, literally in the security guard station, reading the script. As he's standing in front of the desk. Yes. yes. And I'll tell you what, she is awesome perfect. in this movie. She's perfect. And they knew she was perfect as soon as she came in. They heard her squeaky voice and they're like, that's it. Yep. Frenchie. She's actually the only person in Greece, Greece 2, and Greece Live. Then you've got Jan, played by Jamie Donnelly. Russia, Russia, Russia. Get the new white panna with the brand new flavor. It's daddy for your tea. Russia, Russia, Russia. New white panna toothpaste. Russia, Russia, Russia. Knocks out PK germs fast. Fast. Fast, you sure are right. She actually came back and did the show again on Broadway, playing the same character. How about that? Her hair was turning gray at that point. Her hair was turning gray in 1978. They had to color it with, like, magic marker. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's all white nowadays. Oh, yeah. She looks like an old lady. Well, she is an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dinah Manhoff, we've been talking about her a little bit. She plays Marty Maraschino. Uh-huh. Here's the tidbit I'm ready to drop on you. Oh, okay? good, yeah. So, first of all, she was in Welcome Back, Cotter. Yes. Probably a little bit of connection there, right? Sure. It's yeah. all who you know. She's the daughter of Lee Grant and Arnold Manoff. Lee Grant, old Hollywood. You said that she had been in a couple different movies. You didn't really recognize her. You're trying to place her. Uh-huh. All right, listen to this. She was in Child's Play. Okay. She is Chucky's first victim. Wow. Do you remember when he slashes the lady and she falls out of the window, is in the trailer and all that? That's Dinah Manoff. In Greece, we have Chucky's first victim. And here in a second, I'm going to tell you about Michael Myers' first victim, maybe. Okay. Stay with me. I'm excited. Okay. Now then, we got a couple of secondary people I want to talk about real quick, okay? Yeah. yeah. So you've got Eddie Deason who played Eugene. War Games. Yeah, he was in War Games. Yeah. If you've seen Polar Express, the nerdy kid that looks kind of like Corey Feldman in Polar Express, it's voiced by him. Perfect voice for a nerdy kid because yeah. he's got the nerdy voice. Wow. Yeah, he does yeah. have that, that nerdy voice. Very nasally. He was in 1941. He was in Follow That Bird. Okay. Follow That Bird? Follow That Bird. The Big Bird movie? Yes. <laughs> Come on. I don't know how I forgot that. <laughs> and apparently during the filming of this movie, like Jeff Conaway, his whole sole mission was <laughs> to get Eddie Decent laid. <laughs> so. I, gosh, that's that's just like high school. Does that sound like high it school? It just sounds like high school. Yeah. Yep. All right. Susan Buckner played Patty Simcox. She was a fox. Miss Washington, 1971. Uh-huh. And was a top 10 Miss America contestant in 1972. I told you, and I, I forgive me because I may be like creating a memory that doesn't actually exist, but I saw her host some sort of behind the scenes thing for that show. She alluded to the fact that basically she kind of went from trailer to trailer hooking up with these guys, which I mean, these were the, the stars of the day. So I guess so. Young, they're hot for each other. Yeah. yeah. We know for sure that she and Jeff Conaway had a fling. Yeah. Jeff Conaway said we had to practice lifting her dress over her head. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about Tom Chisholm, played by Mr. 19-year-old Lorenzo Lamas. Do you know who was supposed to originally play this part? Tell me about it, stud. So the quote-unquote actor's name is Stephen Ford. Yes. This movie is filmed in 1977. President Gerald Ford's son mm -hmm. is the guy who's supposed to play the young, handsome jock. He bows out to due to, quote unquote, stage fright. Uh-huh. I mean, there's not a stage. That's a theater thing. I don't know what you're talking about with stage fright. Yeah, I he just chickened out. All he had to do is just 
say hi, how are you? He literally had no lines. He the, 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 he mouthed the, the lines that he had. Yeah, there was nothing. He just had to go out there and look good. And I think he was maybe he was scared he wasn't going to look good, or maybe Dad said you're not going to go out there and be the pretty boy. That uh, that I could see a little bit more. Yeah. The second guy they had in mind was Mark Fidrich. Uh huh. And Major League Baseball got in the way. Yeah. He was a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. Right. By the way, the way Lorenzo Lamas got this role. Yes. His mom, who is Arlene Dahl, okay, he escorted her to the 1977 Oscars. And his mom, Arlene Dahl, is a famous actress. Okay. She walked right over to Alan Carr, said, this is my son, Lorenzo. You better hire him. Wow. Well, I mean, he was he was great in this part. And he looked different than I remember him. I mean, I remember him in those cheesy shows with the long hair. Renegade. Renegade. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. He was he, also in Falcon Crest too, right? He was. He was. Yeah. Okay. A couple of quick uh, notes for you. Crater Face, played by Dennis Cleveland Stewart. Yeah. I watched Moonlighting just the other day. He's a bad guy in moon, one of the Moonlighting episodes. Oh, yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. He's got, he plays like a punk rocker. He's got a mohawk and stuff like that. He plays Crater Face. He actually died of AIDS in 1994. Oh, tragic. Yeah, there's there's some tragedy on, on this set. Cha-Cha, played by Annette Charles. She was actually pregnant during the Thunder Road scene. Ectopic pregnancy. Yeah. She was actually in terrible pain, really sick, barely, barely standing. Uh, luckily, she felt good enough to throw down the scarf. She died of lung cancer in 2011. Now then, Eve Alden, Dodie Goodman, Sid Caesar is in this movie. You know who is supposed to play the Sid Caesar part, the Coach Calhoun part? Tell me. This guy's name is Harry Reams. Tell me how I know that. Because he was a porn star, <laughs> most famous for appearing in the movie Deep Throat and getting charged under the obscenity laws for his participation in the movie. Yes. Think Ford th comes back in somehow. <laughs> think the uh, movie watching public would have trouble with that? Uh, maybe. Sid Caesar's great in this movie. Yeah. He's like, you got to bounce it, son. You got to try. You got to try. Okay. Now then, you have Michael Bean in his movie debut. Yeah, it's not a cameo because he wasn't anybody at this point. He was an extra. For those of you who don't know, I mean, this is the guy who played Reese and Terminator and Hicks and Aliens. Johnny Ringo and Johnny Tombstone. Ringo, yeah. He's the guy sitting next to Patty Simcox when they put a frog in her purse or whatever. Yeah, he's the guy that John Travolta punches in the stomach when they're playing basketball. That's it. Ah, you're a hitter. <laughs> How about that? Michael Bean. <laughs> you beaned Michael Bean. <laughs> All right, I've got one more name for you. Okay. John Michael Graham. That ring a bell for you? No. You're going to have to give me more on that one. All right. John Michael Graham was a background dancer in Greece. I think I know this. Okay. I think I know this. He was the boyfriend in Halloween. Was he PJ Soul's boyfriend? Yep. You got it. Bob. So yeah, background dancer is, was he Michael Myers' first victim? I think he was Michael Myers' first adult victim. Right. Upon his escape. That's right. Yes. Bob from Halloween. Wow. That's all for the cast. I do have one thing that I found really interesting, though. At the end of the movie, when Danny and Sandy are flying to the clouds in their car, they actually kiss. We don't ever see on screen Danny and Sandy kiss. Until that last moment? Well, the last moment didn't make it because there's some problem with the film, and so it only exists in black and white. Really? And they, they never, ever got that chance again or didn't realize that there was a problem until it was too late and they couldn't get everybody back and they couldn't do the thing. So they tried to convert that black and white to color. Uh-huh. They couldn't ever figure out how to do it, so we never see Danny and Sandy kiss the entire Just movie. call Ted Turner? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? That's all for the cast. Okay, D. so I got a couple of tidbits for you before we wrap this one up. The word grease is never mentioned in the entire movie. Now, they say greased, like greased lightning. Yeah. Never say grease. Song. Yeah. Got the song. That was actually, oh, I'm going to go into the music. Sorry. Sorry. You got to wait. The word is gentlemen. never spoken. Yeah. yeah you've got to, you got to tune in for our next episode to hear all about the songs. Right. Yep. Okay. So John Travolta started filming this or started rehearsing this four days after Saturday Night Fever. Four days. Four days. He had to switch from Tony Monero to Danny Zuko pretty quick. I told you about, we had Hot Dog the movie, right? Where the, the bun and the wiener and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty cool. I never really realized that. They actually planned a sequel to Grease. No, we're not talking Grease 2, Amanda Janik. We're talking Summer School that was supposed to come out right afterwards. Oh, okay. Where the guys, the T-Birds and stuff, were back in summer school with Coach, you know, Sid Caesar. Yep. That didn't ever happen. Yep. But uh, it's kind of interesting to think about. 
Yeah, they had even talked about doing a Grease 3. After Grease 2 bombed, there was supposed to be Grease 3, but after Grease 2 bombed, they didn't do it. But then talks resumed again much later, 20 years later in the 90s. And the talk was, well, maybe we make these, you know, maybe we come back where these characters are 20 years later, you know, make it a show in the 70s, which how interesting would that have been? I think that had been fun. Yeah. You know, The Breakfast Club wanted to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Come back to your 20-year reunion. Yeah. It'd be fun. Revisit the characters. Fun for me and you. I right. don't know if you can make a good movie out of it, though. Yeah, I can see that. And I'd... obviously, we've lost, a, you know, we lost Olivia Newton-John. We lost Jeff Conway. You know. Yeah. Not the same without those That's guys. right. That's right. By the way, a little tidbit for you. The original play that opened at the Eden Theater, February 14th, 1972. Yeah. Had Barry Bostwick as Danny. If you've ever seen uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Adrian Barbeau. As Riz. Shut up. Yep. Wow. All right, so that's all the tidbits I got right there, except one. There was a time when Grease was in the top three highest grossing movies of all time. Can you name the other two? Yes, I can, but why don't you tell me? So Grease was number three. Yep. Star Wars was number two. And number one at the time. Ba-dum, ba-dum. Jaws. Yeah, this one for Paramount, this was the second highest grossing movie they had ever had. Of course, they produced The Godfather, so that one beat it, but that's still pretty impressive. Yeah, you and I were talking, I am not a musical guy, right? If it says musical, I'm out, pretty much. Greatest Showman, no thanks. Sound of Music. Watched eh. it all the time. West Side Story, no thanks. It eclipsed. The Sound of Music as the highest grossing musical of all time. Uh, Sound of Music came out 13 years before, totally ran the show for that 13 years until Grease knocked it out of the water. Yeah. This was a tsunami in pop culture in 1978. Indeed. We're going to compare this to the soundtrack next week. Back for that. Make sure to hit that follow button so that you automatically get notified when that episode drops. And if you want to give us an extra bit of love, a small, small favor that you can do is just right now, go to the little thing that says rate this podcast and give us five stars. If you're so inclined, leave a review that tells us how handsome and well-spoken that we are, (laughs) even though you can't see us. If you're even more inclined, if you can't get enough of the Shirley podcast, we have a special Patreon page that you can go sign up at. It's patreon.com slash Shirley podcast. And every month we release a Just for Patreons episode on one-hit wonders of the usually 80s, sometimes 90s, sometimes 70s. Yeah, that's but right. It's, it's always a lot of fun, and it is a more family, you know, like it's the, the Patreons are our close, close fans, so it's like a family. Join us over on Patreon. We just dropped one today on Tommy Two-Tone's big hit, 867-5309. I, I still haven't listened to that one. Yeah, Chris Weber did it with us. We had a great yeah. time. So even our Patreons we invite on. So if you become a Patreon, you might get to do a podcast with us. It's a lot of fun. So check us out on Patreon. Come back next week. We've been tying our tongues up so we don't talk about the songs in this movie. But next week, we're going to talk about who wrote the incredible title track. It'll shock you. The bad words that are in Grease Lightning. We'll talk about that. (laughs) My wife said, did he say tit? (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to talk about several number one hits that were like last second additions to the movie. Come back next week and check it out. Bye, guys. Thanks so much.